The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Forty million people in the United States have been diagnosed with asthma. However, according to today's guest, up to 80% of people with asthma diagnosis may in fact be misdiagnosed. If you have hoarseness, post-nasal drip, chronic sinus problems, asthma, or a chronic cough that won't go away, today's show will be of particular interest to you. Dr. Jamie Kaufman is one of America's leading laryngologists and experts on acid reflux. She is the New York Times bestselling author of Dropping Acid, the Reflux Diet Cookbook and Cure, and is here today to talk about her newest book, The Chronic Cough Enigma, Acid Reflux, Asthma, and the Recalcitrant Cough. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Jamie Kaufman. I actually want to, it's very interesting. I was listening to two things as I was coming on the show today. The first was the disclaimer at the front end saying, make sure you uh, consult your healthcare professional before undertaking anything we recommend. Basically, that's what it said. I think healthcare in this country is at its nadir. If you don't know that word, uh, that means at its lowest point. It's now become an industry. It's profit-driven. Doctors used to make house calls, and now they make business plans. And it's not just a problem with doctors. In our lifetimes, and I'm a baby boomer, um, the food industry's made us sick, and the healthcare care industry made us poor. Um, part of that's pharma. Reflux has become epidemic. Diabetes has become an epidemic. Obesity, asthma, osteoporosis, and osteopenia in women. Um, diabetes, this goes on and on and on. Unfortunately, today you have to be your own advocate, and if you're not getting a good outcome, you need to go digging, if not, to find another doctor or to find another answer, particularly people who have chronic cough and asthma. Um, and, and I think that that concept that people have to be their own, their own advocate um, in the healthcare world today in America is a new idea. In the old days, it was sort of you're the doctor and you trusted the doctor, but we've come a long way from... Um, having a trusted family doctor who might, you know, swap uh, two chickens for service or, you know, a Sunday night dinner to uh, a cadre of uh, high-powered, high-expense high, high specialists who don't communicate with each other. So, you know, on the front end, I think people really do need to start thinking about having, um, you know, a more aggressive approach to asking questions and getting them answered, particularly before they have procedures. And if you go in the hospital, you better have someone at your side who loves you and cares for you um, to make sure you get proper care because in many cases um, things aren't going so well. Dr. Kaufman, let, let's talk about the chronic cough enigma and the concept that really chronic cough often doesn't stem from the lungs. I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that not only could their chronic cough not be due to their asthma, but it might not actually be due to their lungs at all. So can you explain that concept to our listeners? Absolutely. Um, the cough reflex comes mostly from the throat. Uh, for example, if you swallow something down the wrong pipe, you'll cough, or if you get something stuck in the back of the throat, not even you know going down the swallowing tube, you'll cough. And uh, so the cough reflex is mediated 
by the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve runs everything. It runs, uh, it's important in the airway and in the swallowing. So speaking and coughing and swallowing and digesting and stomach acid and reflux are all tied up together. So it turns out that a very large proportion of the American population has what's called silent reflux. In other words, they don't have heartburn, they don't have indigestion, they don't know that it's reflux. It may happen at night while they're sleeping. So people who have throat problems, particularly reflux or the backflow of stomach contents into the throat, can develop chronic cough. And it can be chronic cough, difficulty breathing, asthma-like symptoms, um, post-nasal drip. Uh, and you hear these people, they make a lot of noise if they sit in the back of your office uh, with uh, their, their throat clearing and they're coughing. Large numbers of these people have absolutely nothing wrong with their lungs. And so is, are there some common questions that a physician can ask that can distinguish between a breathing problem that is asthma versus a breathing problem that is a silent uh, issue with their stomach? Yes, and it's the most important question and the most important answer I have to offer here today. Um, if you have problems breathing out during exhalation, that's asthma. Asthma is trouble, trouble breathing out. God, can't get the air out of the lungs. But if you have trouble breathing in during inspiration, particularly of noisy breathing, ah, ah, um, that kind of problem is almost always due to reflux. The mechanism is there are actually a set of switches in the throat, and they respond to acid. So if you have stomach acid come up into your throat, those switches close down the throat. I guess the, guy, the, the idea is to try to protect the lungs from the stuff going down into the lungs. So. Trouble breathing in is associated with silent reflux or maybe not so silent reflux, and trouble breathing out or during exhalation is asthma. As it turns out, we've been looking at this question now for 30 years, and the people come to our office with a diagnosis of asthma, only 20% actually have it. Well, why is it so difficult for pulmonologists or a gastroenterologist to diagnose uh, reflux versus asthma in these cases. It seems like you would want that on your radar if you're having these symptoms, particularly if the question could be answered so simply as, as you stated. Well, the answer is that the medical system is, is bogus. The, it's fraud. It's fraud. Uh, the, the endoscopes came out in the 70s. Uh, the gastroenterologist said there's gold in them in our hills. They took the most obvious symptom of reflux, said reflux is heartburn, heartburn is reflux, it's esophageal, and we own it. And as people like me came along and started publishing work on airway reflux, a reflux that could affect the nose, the sinuses, the throats, the lungs, and so on, um, they basically took the position that it didn't even exist. And so grew up a large number of pulmonologists. We have four times more lung doctors per capita than any other civilized country, and yet they don't and are unable to differentiate asthma from reflux. And of course, if they think someone might have, have reflux, what do they do? They send the patient to a gastroenterologist who has no test for airway reflux. So the answer is your gastroenterologist does not understand about airway reflux, and generally your pulmonologist doesn't either. So there, there's another cause that you discuss in the in the chronic cough enigma called neurogenic 
cough, uh, another common non-asthma-related chronic cough like silent reflux. Can, can you paint the symptom pictures for silent reflux and the symptom picture for neurogenic cough and how they differ from each other? They differ significantly. Um, neurogenic coughers, the, the number one kind of symptoms they have, they cough with change of temperature going in and out of air conditioning. They cough all day long. It's a dry cough. They have a, a, a cough with perfume and, and fumes, diesel fuel, diesel exhaust fumes, and they never cough at night. Um, refluxers re, tend to reflux after meals and cough after meals. They tend to cough when they lie down at night. Uh, refluxers uh, sometimes will wake up in the middle of the night from a sound sleep coughing violently and gasping for air. So the differentiation, and, and by the way, one of the final things of the neurogenic group, patients will have trouble with talking, chuckling, and singing will cause them to cough. In case you just tuned in, we're talking to Dr. Jamie Kaufman, the author of The Chronic Cough Enigma, Acid Reflux Asthma, and Recalcitrant Cough, The Path to a Cure. Uh, so what are the arguments from a medical perspective to not ignore a, a chronic cough? If someone has silent reflux disease, they're not having heartburn, they don't actually suffer any problems other than the cough, are there risks that they are uh, taking by not addressing it? Absolutely. First of all, chronic cough is, is, is eight weeks or more of coughing. Um, so if you get a cold and you're coughing eight or ten weeks later or four months later or six months later, it's not still the virus. The virus is long gone. Chronic cough is a diagnosis which must be made. Um, first of all, the relationship between chronic cough and esophageal cancer is high. Indeed, the risk of developing esophageal cancer in chronic coughers is higher than in patients who have heartburn or typical GI symptoms of reflux disease. Secondly, we do uh, know that uh, lung disease can be missed. For example, uh, if someone has swallowed a child, in particular swallowed a peanut, and it's gone down the wrong way and it's stuck in the lung, that can cause chronic cough. So if you have a chronic cough, you should be evaluated by a physician. At the very least, a chest x-ray should be obtained and um, perhaps a TB skin test, depending upon uh, where, where you live and what its likelihood and then even have pulmonary function tests. The real question and the people that come to see me have already been cleared by a lung doctor. So you do need to evaluate. I had a case not long ago uh, that I, I discovered, unfortunately, a large lung cancer that was uh, had previously undiagnosed. So you do need to look for problems in the lung, but it turns out that more people have chronic cough uh, due to airway reflux and neurogenic cough than due to a pulmonary cause. By the way, even chronic obstructive lung disease, meaning emphysema and chronic bronchitis, and particularly we're talking here non-smokers, and we're talking really about non-smokers, non-smokers. Um, it, it, reflux is very, very common cause of COPD. So if you're a non-smoker and you have a diagnosis of COPD, then the real question is why? And are there some common medications that um, can also cause the chronic cough that people should be on the lookout for? Well, there are, there, the, the number one, uh, there are a number that are now sort of coming to light. Some of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are associated with making reflux worse and with development of chronic cough. 
But number one on the hit parade of medications are a blood pressure medication group known as ACE inhibitors. ACE inhibitors are associated with chronic cough and stopping the ACE inhibitor or changing the, the medicine to another anti, to, to another blood pressure medicine will, will, will make a big difference. So in your book, The Chronic Cough Enigma, you, you say that if, if one can completely stop, stop the reflux for about two weeks, the system will usually eventually recover, but it can take six to 12 months to fully recover. So let's, let's start talking about what your treatment approach is. Um, let's start with the diet, and maybe you can explain the rationale behind the diet and, and your attempt to stop the reflux for two weeks. Well, the number one risk factor has changed over the course of the last decade or two. Uh, Americans work longer hours, and they um, get home later. Even if they leave work at 6 or 7, they may go to the gym and exercise. And they come home, and they're hungry, and they're tired. They often eat the big meal of the day, then lie on the sofa for a while, then get up and have dessert, and then go back on the sofa. Um, yeah, people who are foodies, they're going out to 9 o'clock dinner reservations with two bottles of good red wine. Um, pretty much 90 to 100% of those people are going to have reflux at night while they sleep. So the number one uh, rule on the two-week detox is no eating within four hours of bed. Uh, the second most important risk factor is actually everything in a bottle or a can except except soda. Even things that you think are healthy, healthy, healthier choices, you know, vitamin waters and, you know, exercise, you know, energy drinks and fruit juices are highly laced with acid. That's why the book is called Dropping Acid, because we found that the FDA made a ruling that you had to put acid in these bottled um, beverages to kill bacteria in 1973. In fact, that's when the reflux epidemic really started. So not only is there no eating and drinking within four hours of bed, it's nothing out of a bottle or a can except water. And we prefer alkaline water. Alkaline water can be found in health food stores and places like Whole Foods and now sometimes in regular supermarkets as well. But alkaline means that the pH is eight or greater. It's the opposite of acid and it can be quite helpful. And then finally, the diet should be low acid and relatively low fat. In a nutshell, um, this is the detox, the two-week diet, which is uh, designed to help get things working again. Um, only fruit that allows melons and bananas. The other fruits are somewhat acidic. Uh, the only meat that's allowed is poultry and fish and shellfish. Uh, vegetables are fine, but no onion, garlic, tomatoes, or peppers. And then most all the grains are good, although this whole question of you know, bread and sugar um, is, is, is now you know, under discussion. And what about alcohol? You mentioned the the bottles of wine late at night. Is alcohol off limits for the two week induction it is. diet? There's no alcohol during induction. I was. And, sup- and by the way, it's a big risk factor for people. I have a lot of people. I have a guy who was a, a wine connoisseur. You know, had a very large wine cellar, and you know, it wasn't until he said, "I guess it's time for me to move on," that his reflux would come out of, under control, because he couldn't just have a sip. Interesting. And, and um, with regards to the acidification of the antibacterial acid that's added for canned and bottled products, is that true for all canned and bottled products? So if someone, With the exception of water. So for, and a lot of the past gets back to this question that I started at the beginning of, of, uh, of, of labeling. I had a Broadway star walk in my office that had terrible reflux, all proud of herself that she was drinking 
100% organic um, coconut water. And I looked at it, and it had coconut water and vitamin C. So I said, you know what, let's measure the pH of this. So vitamin C is ascorbic acid, and it wasn't put in there to give her extra vitamins. Indeed, the acidity was pH 3, which is highly acidic, the same as stomach acid. So there were, we have labeling problems. Same thing's true with baby food. It says all organic, all natural, and it's highly acidic. So this whole question of how to preserve food other than with acid is going to have to be uh, you know, under discussion pretty soon. Uh, at the very least, we think there ought to be pH labeling on food so that whatever the, what is in the bottle or the can has a pH on the can as well so people who are avoiding acidity can at least do so. I was surprised to see that dairy products were allowed on the diet, mostly because I, with people with overt heartburn, I often see clinical benefit from removing, uh, just by removing dairy products, if they have a lactose intolerance that's undiagnosed, for instance. There's no question about it. You know, we've become much more um, enlightened. Uh, physicians in particular are not very good at understanding or counseling patients about diet in general. And uh, we found this to be true, as you suggest. I have uh, a number of patients that have putted along, being fairly, you know, careful about diet and lifestyle, still not quite getting around the corner completely, who, when they stopped uh, dairy, did just great. Uh, Same thing, too, by the way, for gluten. People have gone gluten-free. I personally am gluten-free, dairy-free, and sugar-free. I choose to eat clean, and it is... um, somewhat difficult, uh, although it gets easier with time, and it is somewhat more expensive than if you buy, uh, you know, the stuff in the store that's just put there on a shelf. And, and you mentioned one of the rules is not eating for four hours before bedtime. Are, are there any other activities, like I think of exercise, for instance, that can help facilitate uh, reducing silent reflux and neurogenic well, cough, for that matter? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the main thing is not to do it wrong. Um, uh, I had a woman who was a retired ballerina. Uh, She was 70, very, very athletic and fit-looking, not at all overweight. Her reflux was not coming under control, and it took me a while to figure out that she was doing yoga for an hour and a half after dinner and then consuming a Granny Smith apple. So the idea is try not to eat too much before you exercise. Uh, It's a good idea to eat after you exercise in general. And, and, and exercise, I mean, a healthy body is, 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 is good. We don't understand all the relationships, but we do know now that the vagus nerve, which is the nerve about, I mean, almost no one knows what it is, um, is extremely important in the immune system, and it's extremely important in the entire aerodigestive tract, and that is from the tip of your nose to the root of your lung and from your mouth and your teeth and you throw it all the way down the esophagus, stomach, and intestines. All of this is run by the vagus. And so you see all kinds of things happening. Um, I have patients who have uh, exercise-induced bronchospasm and and, and, and laryngospasm or or cough. And so those patients fall in the neurogenic group, and sometimes we use medicines that are designed to help the vagus nerve settle down. 
and it's an unusual treatment, but it works. Well, uh, speaking of medications, you do use pharmaceuticals in the short term and, and sometimes find them necessary in getting the reflux under control, but you really warn against using any of the acid blockers or uh, proton pump inhibitors long term and that there's actually some medical risks in, in using either of them long term. Can you, can you talk about both how you use them and then why you would, you would only rely on them for uh, weeks at a time? It's, it's the most important question because, generally speaking, I mean, if you watch television, the guy who drives a truck around in circles and says, yeehaw, zero heartburn all day, take a Prilosec, take a purple pill. Um, there is um, a, a, a terribly important paper that's been published this, this year. It's a, it's a Danish national study of 10,000 patients with Barrett's esophagus, which is esophageal precancer. And the conclusion of the study is long-term use of these medicines, the proton pump inhibitors, is associated with an increased risk of developing esophageal cancer. And I've known this all along because what it does is it covers up the symptoms and does not prevent progression of disease. Unfortunately, the hard part, the serious discussion for people, is that reflux is about diet and lifestyle inevitably. We do use medicines. When, we, when patients come to see us, we evaluate reflux. They have something called pH monitoring. We measure acid in the esophagus and the throat overnight. And we also look at esophageal function. Um, if the esophagus is lazy, we often give a medicine to help it start up as well, although in many cases just reflux treatment and healthy diet will do that. But we don't use the big heavy, heavy-dose uh, proton pump inhibitors so much anymore. If we do, we use one a day temporarily, and as soon as the patient's symptoms start to settle down, usually within weeks, we'll discontinue it. Proton pump inhibitors, that is Nexium, Prilosec, Prevacid, Dexlin, should never have been allowed over the counter. And the reason is if they're stopped abruptly, people experience rebound in many cases. That's good for drug sales, but not for people. So they have symptoms, they feel better. Two weeks later, they quit, then the symptoms come back with vengeance, and then they end back on the medicine and so on. Proton pump inhibitors, when they are used, should be tapered over time. And the way we do that is not by discontinuing the pill slowly, but by putting patients or people on an alternative type of acid suppressant that's not as strong, called an H2 antagonist. And the three that are available now are Tagamet and uh, Santac and Pepsid. And those are very, very, those can be used over the counter and those can be used on an as needed basis. Let's just say you're going out for a late dinner. Take one before you go and one before you go to bed, but not the purple pill. And so, so the purple pill ship is pretty well sailing. And are, do you have any concerns about the acid blockers long term, the, the Zantac and the Tagamet? I know we need stomach acid to, to absorb B12, for instance, and for, well, for various other reasons. First of all, there's been a lot of hype about people not having acid enough. Um, if you took 400 of these pills in handfuls every day, instead of making a ton of acid, you would make a half a ton of acid. Indeed, one of the big surprises with all of the acid suppressants is they are at best mediocre acid suppressants. So we don't have problems. A lot of the information about uh, malabsorption and B12, in my opinion, the data is not very strong. Um, we have plenty of acid, and um, calcium metabolism 
is uh, is probably not also uh, terribly affected. Uh, I think the real the real danger is that it's covering up the underlying disease. And if your disease is lung disease, um, you don't want to cover it up. I'd much rather have a patient who has COPD and bronchitis. And by the way, if you cough in the morning and you're bringing up a glob of stuff, you have chronic bronchitis. That's probably from reflux. I'd much rather that patient come to me and say, you know, I'm having heartburn after breakfast. And I'll have, let's have a discussion about what you're having for breakfast. And, um, you know, heartburn is, is a symptom that you want to, to fix. And the way you fix it is not with a purple pill or even an H2 antagonist. So, Dr. Kaufman, we're running out of time, but if people are, are intrigued by today's program or they read the chronic cough enigma and are, are wanting to do more investigation, given the fact that you, you've found that a lot of specialists are not either well-trained in the examination or well-educated around the link between acid reflux and neurogenic cough and chronic cough, um, how, how would you recommend they proceed in interfacing with the medical community? Well, your question is, is really what's driven me. Um, I wrote this book to help people who couldn't get help. And what it looks like is happening is that people are reading this book, they're self-diagnosing, and then they're carrying the book to their doctor and saying, look, I'm giving you this book, read this book, I have neurogenic cough. I'd like you to consider putting me on one of these medicines and let's have a discussion after we've had time to both to, to digest today's visit. And 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 I get I get a lot of card, you know letters from people who are saying that that's pretty much what's happening. I also I'm getting letters from doctors. This book was not written for doctors, but I'm also getting emails from doctors thanking me that it's changing their practice and how they think about chronic cough because for the primary care specialist these, pro- these patients probably represent a difficult problem because they're not doing very well with them in general. Well, it was a pleasure having you on Health Watch today, Dr. Kaufman. Thank you very much. We're talking today with Dr. Jamie Kaufman, the author of The Chronic Cough Enigma, Acid Reflux, Asthma, and Recalcitrant Cough, The Path to a Cure. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. 